Hey guys, Jack here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Happy early Thanksgiving. Uh, Hopefully you guys are going to have a chance to escape the family for a little bit, get to the tables. Uh, The action can be quite good this time of year, I think especially today, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, So hopefully you guys have a chance to enjoy that. I know I'm heading down to the Jack Cleveland uh, after releasing today's episode. I want to thank Saul for Why for continuing to support Just Hands. I just did a webinar for them on refining exploitative play. Uh, that's available in the all-in access tier. I highly recommend checking out Software TV, uh, the subscription site, Software Release, that I've been working with them on. Uh, it's a really cool product, and if you haven't checked it out, uh, I think you are missing out. Of course, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Thank you to our guest today, another listener who was generous enough to come on the show, use his time for the benefit of us all. Uh, thank you, Andrew. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And if you want to come on the show, uh, just shoot me an email at jack at justhandspoker.com. Uh, send me a hand history that you'd like to feature on the show in that email, and I'll get back to you soon to schedule a time to have you on the show. All right. Thank you, guys, and enjoy the holidays. Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands. We're here with, I think, what will likely be the second episode featuring one of the listeners that we're going to release. I'm here joined by Andrew Donahue. From St. Petersburg, Florida. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing fantastic. Andrew and I actually, Andrew sent me two hands. We just had a nice discussion of the second hand, which I think was interesting, but not quite as interesting as the other hand you sent me. Uh, do you want to set the scene for us? Sure. So we're playing a 2-5 table stakes game. The main villain is a decent rec player. I probably have about 30 hours of history with him. His main League, I would say, is that he plays a little too wide pre, and I definitely think he's a little too sticky post-flop. He can make big folds. He can think things through a lot and then kind of force himself to call anyway, but sometimes he is willing to lay things down. Uh, we're about 1,100 deep to start the hand. Oh, and in terms of his perception of me, he probably perceives me somewhere between, I'd say, tag and nitty, somewhere on that spectrum. Okay. So villain is in the hijack and he opens up to $20. I am in the cutoff and I make the flat with Jack 10 of spades. Any notes on the preflop? So I see here that you guys are 1100 deep against a player against most players, honestly, a two five, but especially against the player that you perceive to be opening wide. I think this is kind of a mandatory three bet. I think we're just so incentivized to seize initiative in position deep with a hand that has a ton of equity and playability. Shut out the button behind. Shut out the blinds. I mean, shutting out the blinds is not essential with his hands, but I think shutting out the button at a high frequency is really nice. I mean, and consider the fact that like a lot of players at 2-5 would fold hands like ace-jack offsuit, queen-jack suited to a three-bet on the button. Like people just aren't cold calling in position that much, which makes sense because the field just doesn't three bet hands like Jack 10 suited that often. But yeah, I think your hand is just plays really well as a three bet and you will go to the flop heads up against the capped range last to act more frequently with more money in the pot through a three bet. So I would, I would three bet this hand. Okay. I did strongly consider a three bet. I kind of mix it up. I actually at two five, I try to 
probably don't need to do this, but I try to randomize by suits just to make sure I'm actually making some kind of effort to uh, mix it up here. Against this villain, I should probably just exploitively just go for it regardless and just three bet full combos. But um figured given that he's kind of sticky preflop, I know I've three bet him from plus one against under the gun and he'll continue with like sixes even if we're not deep. So it just felt less appealing to three bet if we're never going to get folds. But I still think that, yeah, three bet definitely has a lot of merit. I think the fewer folds we get, the better the three bet becomes. Oh, really? Um, yeah, well, I think you get folds on the flop for one. And when you get the fold on the flop, it's for like 65 or, you know, your opponent has invested $65. So we're kind of, I think the main reason that this play is profitable is because we just flop a piece at a really high percentage and our opponent is just going to overfold on most flops because he's opening too wide and defending almost a hundred percent. And so the flop folding frequency in three bet pots against this player type is kind of like one of the main exploits of two five, I feel. And beyond that, I think even if he's not like drastically overfolding flop, I trust you just to play very well in position with the stronger range and, and with a hand that's somewhat disguised. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if we have the stronger range versus range, we can kind of just barrel and tougher him to defend that weaker range. So makes sense. All right. Yeah, it's a nice barrel on like ace king, king queen, ace queen boards. You know, it's just like, okay, great. I get the triple barrel. Absolutely. And then on boards that favor your opponent's range in a three bit pot, we kind of crush. You know, when it comes nine eight seven, normally our three betting range is like shit. And when we have Jack ten, we're in darn good shape. Or a board like this, which is yeah. a little bit more neutral. So yeah, I spoiled it. Board like this. Why don't you take us to the flop? <laughs> so we do get a pretty favorable board. The flop comes down nine of hearts, ten of clubs, jack of diamonds, and again we have the jack ten of spades. So there's about forty dollars in the pot after rake. Villain bets 25, I raise to 80, and villain calls. Talk me through this raise. So the main reason I'm raising is, as I said, he has a tendency to play pretty wide and sticky, so we should do pretty well against his check or his uh, bet call range here. So I'm definitely looking to build up a pot. Don't really see any reason to slow play on this texture. As long as you know we have good equity against his bet call range, I want to... Want to get more money in there. Raise sizing has never really been my strength. It's something that I, I kind of need to work on, and I'm guessing you're going to be advocating for a larger raise if you like raising here. No, not necessarily. I think the size is fine. To me, it's more a question of to raise or not to raise. Okay. I think this hand is closer than it, it looks. How do you plan to proceed facing a three bet? Against this particular player, I'm definitely looking to call. I think the other two options are kind of poor. Against someone who would have a more nutted flop three bet range, I guess we could consider letting it go, but I think I'll definitely have enough equity to call here. That's interesting. I like raising here a lot if you can fold to the three bet. Okay. And when you can't fold to the three bet, I think it gets a little dicier. Not to say that I think it's very close. And I think like, sort of defaulting towards raise just because our opponents will tend to give us very good information by, you know, through body language, timing, sizing. I think that's often the best way to proceed in practice. 
when you don't consider the fact that you're going to get this information, I think it becomes much closer. You have to consider the fact that your opponent has 16 combos of the nuts that are very likely to 3-bet you. And so if we're planning on calling facing a 3-bet, which I think is, you know, when we're not calling, it's a big concession because we have a good amount of equity. But yeah, we're up against 16 combos of the nuts and 5 combos of sets and probably, I guess, 4 combos of top 2, which could raise, but probably won't. Need our opponent to be bluffing, like... At a reasonable frequency. And I'm not sure there's any, like, one hand that I think our opponent, like, yeah, for sure our opponent is bluffing with that. Is there anything that comes to mind to you that would suggest, oh, yeah, my opponent is almost certainly bluffing with this hand? I would imagine if he was going to bluff here, he'd probably use something like queen-jack, ace-queen. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different bluffs, and it's going to be hard to know exactly what he has. What's tricky about this spot is... Those hands, I do think, make sense as a bluff at some frequency, but they're also fairly easy psychological calls, and I think profitable calls. So the fact that we get raised by a lot of hands that beat us, and it's unclear to what degree our opponent is likely to bluff, or how much equity we have facing that raising range, I think it, a flat should be considered. I think what's nice through about flatting is that keeping stacks deep, we maintain our positional edge to a greater degree and we play underwrapped rather than overwrapped on future streets like when you raise what's nice is that i think your opponent three bets hands that beat you at such a high frequency that when we raise and get called and get favorable runouts life is really good and that in itself is kind of maybe such a reason in favor of raising that raise is best. But you have to consider that, like, favorable runouts, like, you're not going to get two favorable cards that often. You really, to continue getting value, need a six or lower, or an ace, I guess, although an ace is kind of shitty too. So you, you really need, like, a six or lower twice, and that doesn't happen very often. So I don't think you get to just, like, raise bet bet very much. I didn't want to think too hard about this spot coming into the show, but I'm sort of talking myself into a call. It's a little awkward because there are going to be some gross turns where, you know, when it comes to king and our opponent bets pot, we're in a weird spot. But I just think this hand is going to be more profitable playing it passively in position and being at the top of our range versus raising against a range that has a lot of three bets where it's unlikely we're going to be able to get much of value on future streets. And we're still probably going to be facing a polarized range on some street if the runout is poor. So I, I think it's close. The thing that would make me feel better about raising is if you had, you know, you do have 30 hours of history with this player. So if you feel like you're going to be able to have a very good reads on your opponent's physical behavior, bet sizing and timing, then I think making the pot bigger is probably to your advantage. Okay. Uh, physical reads is probably not my strong point, so okay. I'm not going to give myself credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think flat has a lot of merit. I thought it was very close. If he had opened from maybe an earlier position, such that king-queen was going to be a large you know, portion of his range, and he wasn't going to have all this maybe 9-8 off, queen-10 off, all that, I would definitely lean more towards flat. 
as played, you know, him opening and hijack, it felt a little closer between call and raise. I think call does make a lot of sense, though. Yeah, let me point out that a hand like queen ten, like a lot of a lot of the time when we raise, it's to get called by hands that have like really poor equity against us. Mm-hmm. Queen ten has fairly good equity against you. Queen ten has, you know, ten outs to the best hand, and is very likely to win whenever those cards come. Like we're in position, and so. I think having Queen Ten call, you know, in the same way that we are, Queen Ten is very unlikely to lose when it improves. Like we're not going to bluff Queen Ten when it beats us. Mm-hmm. We're also not going to pay off to Queen Ten, so it's not like Queen Ten has a bunch of implied odds. So, like I think raising, if we knew that our opponent had Queen Ten, would be really good. But mm-hmm. it's just important to realize that like the range that we beat, we don't beat so badly that we're just like really gung-ho about getting like piles in because of that portion of the range absolutely and being in position on this kind of texture definitely helps but yeah i mean any hand that he bet calls against is probably gonna have pretty good equity except for maybe even over pairs but even those are doing okay so it's worth mentioning that if you had 10 9 or jack 9 here i think it's for sure like 100 percent a call i think the fact that you have top two, chop with other top two, and have good equity against a set of nines. Not great equity, but you're doing okay. Makes it a much better candidate for raising. If you had 10-9, I think it's an absolute mandatory call. And it's the kind of mistake that it doesn't sound like you would be very likely to make, but that a lot of people listening to this, I think, are likely to make. You know, raising all two pair on a board like this. I'm never raising 10-9 here. Jack-9... Starts to get close, but yeah, Jack 10 is pretty damn close to the bottom of my value range and might be the stone bottom. Yeah, I think it should be the stone bottom. And I think because it's a stone bottom, that's why we're having such a hard time deciding what to do with it. Uh, Another thing that could sway you one way or the other is if you think your opponent's likely to open 7-8 offsuit. If you add 12 combos of bottom straight, it's not good (laughs) for us. But yeah, so that's something to consider. Yeah, I had a tough time. I gave him probably about quarter combos of 7-8 offsuit when I was just breaking it down on my own. I think it's tough to know exactly. And I don't think those hands are likely to raise. So we get to realize our equity, which is nice. Absolutely. So Villain obviously calls. Villain does call, and you foreshadowed it. We There are some bad turn cards. The turn is the Nine of Clubs. Not the worst turn, but not the best, because Villain leads out for 100 into a pot of 200. This is a weird lead, because it's like on a very surface level, it kind of looks better for your opponent's range, but I don't really know that that's true. (laughs) Like, king-queen is still a super powerful hand here. Your opponent is essentially, like, repping boats, but maybe he thinks that because aces and kings just, like, and queens outdrew jack-10, they should be leading with those types of hands. So, I think your mindset should be on bluffing at some point and it's just a question of like what you just make it so hard for your opponent to have the types of hands that he's repping and that this feels like a sort of opportunistic lead like i don't like where i'm at in this hand and this card plausibly looks better for me so i'm just gonna like half pot it and see like (laughs) see what happens how are you feeling about this like do you think this is something your opponent would like what do you think the strongest hands your opponent shows up with here are the one hand, I don't know if he could ever do this with King-Queen. 
That's, I don't think he does it with too. Yeah. I don't think he does it with boats. Maybe maybe King Queen. He wants to find out where he's at, kind of, because the board paired, and now it's kind of scary, and he wants to see what I do. Yeah, I feel like almost any hand, other than just like jacks or tens or nines, hates getting raised here. And whenever that's the case, <laughs> and we make, especially like when we have a hand that makes those hands like far less likely, we should be considering a raise. How would you play? Not that you necessarily even ever get here with jacks or tens, but we'll, let's just assume your opponent doesn't know that. How would you proceed here with tens or jacks? How would you proceed here with king-queen? That's a good question. I was kind of asking myself that in the moment because I thought my hand had a decent amount of showdown value at this point against what he's going to be betting here, but I knew there was a good chance I was going to have to turn my hand into a bluff either now or on the river. So I started asking myself, you know, what's the best way to credibly rep a boat here? And I think the answer is to just call, but I'm not sure, truthfully. If we want to get sort of, like, I don't know if this level of sophistication is necessary, or the the sort of sophistication I'm about to try and bring into the situation. Sometimes I, I think along these lines in situations that don't call for that, and it actually can hurt. And so let me let me just be a little bit more clear about what I'm saying. I think that maybe the mindset should just be like, is right now the best time to get this guy to fold? Is he more likely to fold now? Or is he more likely to fold to like the river after checking? Okay, so the, the sophistication I'm throwing in the situation is I think if you had king-queen, you'd be pretty likely to just call. And on a like a clean run out, I think facing a check, that's often a hand that like is going to want to bet and so that could be a line to take. The majority of your value, I think, is king-queen, or that's how it should be perceived, because it's unclear that you should have jacks or tens, and it's unclear that like you would be raising like jack-9, ten-nine. So as a hedge against your opponent sort of being privy to that information, you could play passively and try and really only bluff in a way that king-queen would value bet. But I think probably we should just be figuring out when is our opponent most likely to fold. I mean, if that's the case, if you think we really need to be focusing on turning our hand into bluff right now, and that's our primary consideration, I would imagine that we should probably be raising the turn because he can always just check call rivers, whereas if we raise turn, he knows he's then going to be facing a big river bet. And that's what I would recommend. And so let me let me put it like this. When he, when you call and he checks you on the river, do you want to check back? Uh, it's really, well, I guess it depends. So we're assuming like just like an offsuit deuce river. Yeah. I think so. I think it's going to be hard to get value from one pair of jack hands at this point. But oh, yeah. No. So I'm not, basically what I'm asking is like, are you, Tempted to turn your hand into a bluff or no? Oh, on the river, assuming he checks. Yeah, you call it half pot. Your opponent checks you on the river on a, I, on a blank. Are you tempted to bluff? I, I don't think we need to. I I think we have enough showdown value here. Okay, that's good to know. So yeah, I think there are two realistic lines here. One is raise now. Mm-hmm. The other is call, planning to check back when checked to, for the most part. Like yeah. 
on cards that don't really change the board. Or facing a bet on the river, we can sort of evaluate whether we think a bluff will be profitable. And I think that's going to have a lot to do with sizing. I think when your mm-hmm. opponent like pots it on the river, bluffing, one, because we have less to, or we just have less money to bluff with, and two, because I just think it's a much stronger bet. It's yeah. probably not advisable when your opponent bets smaller or to just does something that you're perceiving as weakness, then I think pulling the trigger could make sense. And so in terms of deciding between these sort of two turn options, I would just base it on how much should on value you actually think you you have. Because if, if your opponent is doing this with a hand like queen jack or ace jack or, you know, ace queen, I don't think your opponent's super likely to just like barrel again as a bluff. No, I think it's pretty unlikely. So I guess however many of those types of hands you think your opponent has, the more of those I would lean more towards a call, the fewer of those I would lean more towards just like raising that. Yeah, I mean, the way I generally interpret leads, and this is definitely true with flop leads, and I have less of a sample on turn leads, is they just tend to be very blocker-ish. I want to find where I'm out, where I'm at kind of bets. So I don't usually interpret them as being super strong. It's just I note on the population tendencies. I don't really have a good sample on this player's leads. I agree that this just doesn't look like a boat to me. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. I think you should probably just raise. Okay. What are the stacks at this point? Like, uh, so we started the hand with 1100. So probably about a thousand at this point. And then he bets. So that's about 900. I would like just raise into like 350 here. And then evaluating river. If it gets to that point, just based on your opponent's timing and what the runout is and planning to often, I would say give up when called. Oh, interesting. Okay. The thing is, What's, what's weird about these spots is there's a lot of hands like nine, eight, nine, seven, nine, queen, jack, queen, queens, kings. And these hands all have like equity. They have ways to improve to like a stronger absolute value hand. Like obviously kings or queens like have equity, but like nine, eight, it's like a, you know, three of a kind plus an open end of straight draw. But when you raise, mm-hmm. it's like that straight draw is not very, it's not worth much at all. So I don't think that you're going to see your opponent like call to like see if they improve that often. There just shouldn't be that many rivers that improve them, especially straightening rivers. And what's nice about the, if they're calling to try and improve on a tenor jack, then we will also improve on a tenor jack. <laughs> but yeah, if, if, you're, if your opponent like seemed like they would fold the river, based on some confluence of events, I'm definitely open to shoving river. And I'm definitely sizing turn to make it look like I could shove river. Basically, I think when your opponent calls the turn, there's too many opponents, especially like rec players, who have the mindset like, why call turn if you're not going to call river? Mm -hmm. And we can just take advantage of that by just like bluffing turn and not bluffing river. Like if your opponent has king-queen or 7-8 and calls the turn, and it comes like a deuce. It's hard for me to imagine that they're going to be like, okay, well now he's not, now he's not bluffing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't see that too often. Yeah, and I think seven eight is actually a hand that kind of makes sense here. Absolutely. Any final thoughts on this spot? 
No, just I think that makes a lot of sense. In general, I do raise a lot of donks on the flop just because, you know, those bets tend to be so weak. So given that we don't think he has boats here and we're not going to go for value on the river anyway, I guess we might as well start to take the most profitable bluff line. It's a it's a weird lead because it's just unclear how this turn is like perceived. But I think you're right in that this turn lead is functioning in how a lot of flop leads in these games function in that it's just like a middling type of hand that wants to set its price or just try and get a fold, even though this is like a hopeless bet to try and ever get a fold against your flop raising range. But All right. Well, so far you have disagreed with every street, but hopefully... But they've all been very... Well, I actually don't think preflop is very (laughs) close, but these other two have been very close. Absolutely. Absolutely. There were tough spots. I'll give myself a little credit. So uh, I think you're thinking about it very well. Okay, thank you. I, I appreciate that. So we have 200 in the pot. He bets 100. I call. So we see a pot of $400 going into the river. And the river is a seven of spades. So just to recap, we have a board of nine of hearts, 10 of clubs, jack of diamonds, nine of clubs on the turn, seven of spades on the river. And I hold jack, 10 of spades. Villain now bets 225. And I think I have about 900 behind at this point. So there's going to be about 625 in the pot. If I shove, I need to get it through here about 60% of the time. I don't think I can profitably call at this point. So we're left with shove or fold. I think shove. Just based on everything we've talked about, about boats being unlikely. I mean, I think 9-7 suited is possible, or if not likely here. But that's one combo. So, yeah, I'm not seeing any reason to, like, give our opponent much more credit for a strong range now. Especially that, given the sort of smaller bet size, I think our range looks so much like king-queen. Not, I mean, once we shove, I think we can represent stronger hands than king-queen. But our opponent has to be thinking that, like, there's a pretty good chance we have king-queen. And so if he had a boat, I just would think that he would make it bigger. So I, I think we're unlikely to be up against a boat, and we block boats for good measure. We can, I guess, represent the nuts. Let's do it. So I did, in fact, shove. I'm curious just a bit why you think we represent king-queen more than boats. Is it because we flatted the turn, or we just have more combos available of king-queen than boats? Or I think once you shove the river, I don't think you're representing king-queen. Oh, okay. Like, I think it would be an interesting... Like, if you had king-queen, I think raising to, like, 500 would be kind of badass. But when you shove, I think it's a little too polarizing for you to have king-queen. And I don't think that we should be shoving jack-10 and king-queen. Okay, so you meant in his mind before he bets the river, I'm representing king-queen. Gotcha. When you raise, yeah, when you raise flop and call turn on a board pairing card, in his mind, you should, like, probably have 16 combos of king-queen. I would advise you to have zero, in the sense I think you should be three-betting all in pre-flop. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you can probably represent 16. This is also like the beauty of... when you, Even if you're three-betting aggressively, like you, you can still get credits on these boards. Like, even though it seems like you shouldn't be able to. Just in the same way that you can... Even though you probably never have jacks or tens, you can get folds here. Mm-hmm. Opponents just don't play very well. And they look at their hand... And they say, I had a $225 hand. I didn't have a $900 hand. 
my fault. Did you give results? I did. So the results are that he tanked for a bit and then folded 8-9 face-up. Surprised he tanked. I guess he tanked because he had a straight? Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, it's just... it's. I mean, it's truthfully not a bad fold by him. This is kind of... I mean, my general mantra is that people don't drive all the way to the casino to fold. So I'm probably under-bluffing a little bit in these spots, but... With Jack-10 blocking so many boats and with... I don't think there were any Jack-9 suited combos available. So it's just it's not too many boats for him to have. So decided to go for it. Yeah, I think the only hand that's like... And I still don't think this hand is super likely to play this way. But I think your your opponent could show up here with 10-9. And then the one combo 9-7 suited, which I think is pretty likely to call. Even though it's not functionally that different than 9-8. There are certain bluff lines that just don't work very well. At low stakes. Like the small river bluff, like triple barrel on like a dry board doesn't work very well. Yeah. But like the, you know, raise flop, raise turn does get folds. Like the raise flop, call turn, like shove river for an overbet gets folds. Not quite an overbet, but yeah, it's, you just have to, I think either be early in the hand to fold where your opponent has a lot of, just give ups or you kind of have to turn up the heat and this is a good example of turning up the heat and definitely this is this is one of those disguised things about like why raising is good on the flop i still think call is probably slightly better but there are certain things that don't get like it's hard to factor into the flop decision like half of the times he turns a nine and leads and then we float and then like (laughs) bluff river you don't think about that, but when you don't raise the flop, you don't get to do this. And then all of a sudden the turn becomes really gross because like now all his overpairs beat you and probably continue betting if they decided to bet the flop, which I don't think aces should in case anyone here is likely to raise aces <laughs> pre-flop and then get to the spot. Yeah. Aces in particular seems to make for a bad bet. Yeah, I think Aces is like a pretty reasonable check call one on this board. It's probably surprising to people to hear that. But it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just, it's not a hand that, it's just, it's a shitty hand on this board. I mean, like, you just have to face the facts. Ace, Aces sucks here. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just what runouts are you really going to like? Again, two cards under a six. You definitely want to pot control. I mean, obviously when the nine comes, I think we call again. Or consider leading. Like I think, I think check call lead on this board with aces is kind of sexy. Which might have been what he had. I mean, in my mind at the time. Yeah, so. I think so too. Although I think once he bets river, it becomes very, very unlikely. I was thinking they might still be in there. Maybe. Well, I mean, it, just, it makes your play better. Yeah, I, I don't like, I don't like bet call with aces at all. But I think bet, I think check call. And then when you turn favorably like this, just leading, that does make sense to me. Interestingly, I've, I have seen him check kings on this board. So he check min-raised kings. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't mind it. Yeah. I think it's a way to like get the max versus like jack x. And then it's a way to set yourself up to bluff in the future. What's tricky about putting yourself in that spot is you have to decide, like, 
is my hand good? Or like, is this actually just a spot to, you know, turn down my showdown value and go ahead and bluff <laughs> the checkman race. I like it. I mean, it worked. It won the hand. So that's what the game's all about. Just winning as many Ab- hands as you can. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to the listeners, it, that's not what the game's about. Um, <laughs> just in case you didn't catch that. Andrew, thank you very much for sending two really interesting spots. I have sort of like a lot of set ways I play these sorts of boards, but I think going back and revisiting those is really helpful. And I, I think Jack 10 is one of the most flexible and also most difficult hands to play on this board. I'm pretty comfortable with my set strategies on, on this texture for the most part. But yeah, Jack 10 is, it's a tricky one. And even if you should be three betting Jack 10 suited, in my opinion, you're still going to have to like confront this spot a lot with Jack 10 offsuit. So yeah, interesting spot. All right. Well, I really appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much. My pleasure, man. All right. And to everyone out there, you are also welcome to come on the show. Just please send me a hand that's as interesting and detailed as this one. Andrew, thanks again. And I'll see all of you at the next episode.